Welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee story. We are so happy you've joined us from all around the world. To our listeners, aloha. We have such a fun show today. We are talking with a wonderful guest, Kirk Lee Ader, today. And we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a photographer for surfers, um, to actually doing photography that's underwater, aerial, scenic places, for events, cuisine. Well, Kirk Ader is a well-known and very talented photographer, and we're going to have a wonderful show together, and we're going to welcome him in just a moment. So before we start our Surf's Up and Grab a Cup episode today, we're going to actually talk a moment about what's going on at the farm. This is our Anikona Farm moment. So for our listeners, we just so appreciate all the the interest that you have in Anikona Farm. And we've been picking coffee and actually pulping coffee. It's been such a beautiful day. Um, Pulping coffee means taking the red cherry off of the beans that we picked yesterday. And we picked the coffee beans with some wonderful friends. We were out between the trees selecting the beautiful red cherry. Uh, Once again, a very pretty day here in Halualoa, Hawaii. And our friends actually are visiting us from Hungary. So we've been uh, been picking and pulping. And this this coffee is going to be uh, ready for for our next roast in a few months. But now let's get started and talk about Surf's Up, Grab a Cup. And I'd love to introduce Kirkley Ader, who's a highly published and well-known surfing photographer. He also does pro sports photography. As I mentioned, he's written, well, he's actually done aerial photography, underwater photography, and he's written books as well. And we're looking forward to chatting with Kirk. And we'd like to welcome you, Kirk, to My Favorite Coffee Story. Hi, Kirk. Good morning, Aniko. How are you doing? How are you doing? Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to hear how you got involved in photography, and let's maybe share with our listeners a bit about your early days and your personal journey and your career, how you became interested in photography. I know that at age 10, you actually took some of your first photographs in 1969, some beautiful black sand beaches and volcanoes on the Big Island. Tell us, please, a little bit more about how you got involved in your interest in photography, Kirk. Well, it's actually pretty interesting. I um, grew up in La Jolla, California. La Jolla is a suburb of San Diego. And um, you're right. I was about 10 years old in 1969 when we took a family vacation to the Big Island, ironically, of all places, because that's where I live now. And um, I was able to go to the Volcano National Park and to the uh, Kaimu Black Sand Beach at Kalapana while it was still there. 
and I had a little brownie 126 camera, which back in those days people would, <laughs> uh, my age would recall those, and I was able to get some good shots, and that's that's um, kind of started it all off for me. Um, was actually shooting photos here on the Big Island, taking them back to La Jolla and showing my friends, and they seemed all excited at looking at those photos and everything. And then after that, everything just pretty much um, escalated in my uh, interest in photography from there. Um, it certainly didn't hurt me that I had a older brother, four years older than me, who was also a photographer, and he was getting into surf photography. So pretty much at that point, I just followed his in his uh, footsteps a bit and pursued uh, surfing photography um, in particular, and that was what really started me off from there. Your surfing photographs, Kirk, are truly spectacular, and they you capture the moment. I, I'm not quite sure. We're going to talk about how you do that, and uh, it, really, I've seen your photographs. They're, they're truly incredible. Those growing up days must have been really nice in La Jolla, California, and I know that a few years after that first photograph that you took here on the Big, big Island, a few years later, not too long, you actually had your first published photo. Tell us how that happened. Well, that's true. Um, you know, when you start shooting surfing photos, it's not like you get published right away. There's a lot of trial and error involved, and that's true probably with any aspect of photography. So surfing photography is no different. Um, back in those days, of course, we're shooting slide film and using manual-focused lenses. Um so you have 36 shots to a roll. You kind of shoot a little conservatively, unlike today with digital, where you can just fire away hundreds, thousands of photos and pick the best ones. But back in the day, you had to be conservative and, and shoot because every photo costs you money. And, of course, when you're a little kid, you don't have a lot of money. And so um, I just kept up at it. Um, my brother, Eric, who lives on Maui, he taught me a lot before he moved on to Maui. And... Um, I started shooting surfing photos, oh, 1973, 74, 75, and by 76, I had my first photo published in Surfing Magazine when I was in the 10th grade um, of high school. And the paycheck wasn't a lot, um, but it was something, and it inspires you, and then it just kept me going from there. And, oh, um, that, is, I, that is so inspiring. Yeah, I really feel like when you get interested at something at a young age and you feel passionate about it, um, you should just stick with it. And that's what I did with the photography and getting that first photo in Surfing Magazine. And then a year later, um, getting published in Surfer Magazine um, really helped. And it just inspired me from there. And then um, it, I just kept going and getting it to where I am today. That's an incredible journey, Kirk. Your family must have been very supportive of your photography interests and, you know, giving you the camera and the cameras and the equipment. Tell us, please, a little bit about how your growing up days were with your family. Well, of course, you're, for me, um, I, I want to shoot photos, but then, of course, school is the main priority. So as long as I kept my grades up, that was the main thing, um, which I did. And um, my father, um, he worked for IBM for many, many years, and my mom was pretty much um, a housewife and 
they really set a good example for my two brothers and I, and it was really great growing up in La Jolla. At that time, um, La Jolla was more like a village, and you kind of knew everybody. There wasn't a lot of people. Of course, it's um, a lot more crowded and like kind of a lot of good places today. But back then, it was really a nice community and really had a lot of fun in those days. And the main person for me who really influenced my photography a lot was um, a classmate of mine named Chris O'Rourke. And um, he was actually the number one rated surfer from the U.S. mainland um, when he was about 16 years old, same as me in about 1976, and he was a competitive prodigy surfer, and I was fortunate that he was in my grade, in my area, there at La Jolla, and so as far as I was concerned, every time I wanted to shoot surfing photos, I had the best guy, really, in the whole U.S. mainland to work with, and I really concentrated on him and started getting photos published of him, and he would be calling me all the time to see if I could come shoot, so we really... Uh, hit it off at, at a good age and could work together and it really was a fun experience working with Chris and then I'd shoot other surfers too but he was really my priority and um, ended up being a, a tremendous inspiration to me um, in my life and still is uh, today actually too and it was really neat to work with him. Well, Chris O'Rourke is known definitely as one of the most famous surfers of all. Would you go out with him in the early mornings? How would you coordinate that, even before school? Or Yeah, um, in high school, um, of course. Um, I kind of feel like later on, I... Uh, Drinking some coffee before going out was it was really nice for me because it really got me fired up to shoot photos. And so early in the morning, whether I was shooting in the water or shooting with a big lens from shore, um, definitely have that cup of coffee and go down there and, and shoot. And and uh, it was a lot of really a lot of fun to be um, shooting at a, a place called Windensea in particular in La Jolla. And there were other places um, called Blacks, Big Rock, Simmons Reef. But we had a really good variety of uh, surfing breaks with waves that were kind of powerful, like Hawaiian style, to work with and really beautiful watercolor. And so when all the elements would come together, um, it was really a fantastic experience. And, and Chris was always out there all the time, so I really got to shoot a lot of photos of him. And um, he really just um, kept me going and... Um, you know, there's a long story with Chris. Unfortunately, he um, developed cancer when he was 18 years old, had got Hodgkin's disease in 1977, and ended up uh, passing away in 1981. But I had um, photographed him through all of that. And um, uh, he just taught us, myself and everyone around him, how to live and how to keep living your life. And he kept surfing through the entire ordeal. And uh, really inspired me uh, and everybody else. And so um, really uh, that was a tragic thing to have happen to a really good friend at an early age, but uh, um, he wouldn't want us to look at it as tragic. He'd want us to look at it as inspirational. And um, we've all learned a lot from then and uh, from him and have moved on since. Well, you have definitely celebrated Chris O'Rourke in your beautiful book, Child of the Storm. And writing that, I think you've captured 
what an inspiring person he was and um, how he, what made him a great surfer. Uh, tell me, please, about how you would go out there to capture those beautiful photographs. You would be close to the surfers. I know you'd also be, you know, with your big lens, but how would you be in a boat or how, you, how did that work? Could you tell us, please, a little bit more about that? Yeah, a lot of people ask me, oh, are you, uh, when you're shooting photos from the water, are you on a boogie board or, or a surf mat or something? But no, the best way really was just swimming and trying to position yourself um, in the lineup, the surf lineup on the waves in a way that you can capture those photos. And um, whether it was Chris or anybody else, when a set of waves come in, you have to be in the right spot, be a really good swimmer. And um, just kind of have a sense of the ocean and what it's going to do and, and get in the right spot. And when the surfers come at you on the wave, um, you do get pretty close. Um, you definitely don't want to get hit with the board. Um, I'd rather take a tumble on the wave than have the board or the skeg of the board hit you, which for, fortunately for me, I was able to avoid. And um, But it was very exhilarating being out there in the water. You're so close and in the lineup. And everything happens so close to you, and it's um, so thrilling to be in that position. And then at the end of the day, you know, when you're paddling in and thinking, okay, did I get that shot? Did I get that shot? And, of course, shooting slide film back then, you had to wait a couple of days before so the film could get developed and get it back. True. And you're always kind of hold, holding your breath. Um, hoping you got the shot and sometimes it was there and sometimes it wasn't but um, most of the time it was and and uh, yeah that was a thrill too just seeing the final result of the product. Well that's true because you're capturing that moment but as a listener we we're trying to kind of also think about you're there in that water that's very wavy and you're trying to also see if you got the photograph and you're trying to get close thank you for taking us there with you because we can really feel how you can actually work with the water and bring out that surfing element and that's I think what's such an incredible um you know moment to your photography that everyone really enjoys and appreciates because you really feel you're there when you look at a Kirk Ader photograph this has been so fun to chat with you Kirk about those early days and how how you actually got into surfing photography we can't wait to talk more with you about how you actually then decided to write the book child of the storm and a little bit more about chris o'rourke and what made him such a great surfer right after the break please join us The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, 
you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We've been having such a nice time with Kirk Ader, who's a very highly published and well-known surfing photographer and has written books about scenic places in Hawaii, as well as about Chris O'Rourke. It's entitled Child of the Storm. And we were just going to talk a little bit more about what made Chris O'Rourke such an incredible surfer? Kirk, please share with us a little bit about Chris. Well, Chris was a very polarizing figure. Um, early on when I met him, which was actually the sixth grade in elementary school, and then through junior high school, we weren't really the greatest of friends. We were polar opposites. I feel like I had a really good upbringing, great parents, great family. Chris's situation was different. He had a big rift with his father. They had come from the East Coast and had relocated in La Jolla. And initially, Chris never had any interest in surfing. And um, I kind of steered clear of him for a while. Um, But as my interest in surf photography grew, and then I'm seeing him and going, well, this is the best guy there is, um, we we became closer and we kind of fed off each other. Obviously, I could shoot photos of him because his talent level was so good, and he liked being around me because he knew I was starting to get published in the surfing magazines. So even though we had polar opposite personalities, we, we really hit it off and kind of fed off each other. And and I think um, I, I was kind of a shy kid, I think, back then, and so I think he helped me because he was pretty uh, outgoing and outlandish in the things he did. I mean, he didn't hold back ever. 
that's that's how his personality was, and so he kind of brought me out of uh, my shell. And I'd like to think I maybe tempered him in some way, so we kind of fed off each other. But we got along great. We're able to shoot a lot of photos and everything. Um, hard to say where Chris would have ended up if he hadn't got the cancer. I mean, most people figure he was headed for possible world championship, but he had definitely a top 16 surfer in the world at that time, surfers from California. were kind of, uh, even though California had a great surfing background, um, surfing in the mid to late 70s was dominated by Australians and Hawaiians and South Africans, and the Californians were kind of frowned upon, but Chris was starting to change that image, but unfortunately he got the cancer, and um, inevitably wasn't able to, but um, he still did surf through it. Um, in the first year, it looked like he, his surfing level was still up there in spite of going through all the radiation treatments and everything. Um, and it looked like he was going to beat it, um, the cancer. But uh, about a year went by, and unfortunately, the cancer spread to his head, and he had to have part of his skull taken out. And so uh, a few months later, he spotted, when he came to my house, he spotted a hockey helmet in the garage that I had, and he figured he could wear that and still surf. And I kind of thought he was crazy, but he wanted to do it, and he did it. And I remember the first time he went back out there, and surfed, and nobody was in the water at Windensee, and the waves were really small and not that good, but he went out anyway and caught some waves and kind of proved to everybody that he could do it, and then it seemed like he was back. He kept surfing with wearing this helmet, and he was easily recognizable by everybody because he's, he's the only surfer in the water wearing a helmet, <laughs> and he'd go have his chemotherapy and radiation treatments, and afterwards would come out and go surfing, and Sometimes he'd get sick in the water, but surfing just really meant everything to him. And through this whole ordeal, he um, got married, and they had a, uh, to Jill was his wife, and they had a baby boy and named him Tim. And so they had a family, and it was just amazing to see my friend um, keep going and continually beat the odds, beat the cancer, having a family, having a baby boy doing well in surfing competitions still with um in spite of all going through the the chemo and everything um but eventually it just it got to be too much for him and he passed away uh in may of 1981 and um i was fortunate enough to be there at scripps hospital when he passed and and his uh, jill just told me to call people and everything and of course back then you don't have cell phones so i called people and ran out of quarters using the pay phones and they called other people and and when he passed there must have been at least 100 people outside his door and so that was really inspiring um but that's how he was he had so many friends he was 22 years old um he had more friends, I think, in his lifetime than I'll ever have, and it kind of shows, um, you know, exactly what a kind of a person he was and everything. And um, yeah, really had a big influence over everybody. He he sounds like he's had such inner strength, Kirk, and he was such an incredible example. Are you still in touch by chance with his his family, with Jill and his son? Yes, I am, actually. Um, they live in California, and um, Timothy, his son, has married, and they had a baby boy early last year, and 
appropriately enough. They named him Chris, so there's another Chris O'Rourke in the world, and he's uh, coming up on his second birthday. <laughs> so that, that's really neat, neat to see. And um, the neat thing about the Child of the Storm book, um, you know, I waited on that because surfing... Surfing's image was not the greatest in the 70s. Um, pro surfing, the, the world tour that we know it today, started in 1976. And Chris actually went on the tour in 1977 and when he was healthy to Australia. But when he came back, um, that's when Jill noticed a lump on his neck and they got him to the hospital and it ended up being Hodgkin's. But um, I really waited for surfing as a sport to evolve and through the 80s it did evolve and um, more money came into the sport as a result of sponsors and big corporate sponsors and big companies coming onto the scene like Quicksilver and Billabong and, uh, and and others and they really infused a lot of money into the sport and um, into the 90s it just got more powerful and you know one person that really helped a lot was Kelly Slater coming along and being such a powerful image um, but by about, I don't know, 2004, I finally decided it was time to write that book, Child of the Storm, about him and let people know what happened to Chris and what an inspiring figure he was. So um, it's really taking me uh, kind of my entire lifetime to dedicate it to my friend. And actually, after he passed away in 1981, I formed a company called IMOCO Media, uh, I-M-O-C-O Media, and it's basically the first letters of in memory of Chris O'Rourke, and I still have that media company today. So that kind of shows you uh, the effect that this person had on me. Well, and you were such a great friend as well to Chris. And um, publishing that book is is also just as I mentioned, a, just a beautiful celebration of his life. You also have gotten involved in. Um, a variety of other photography, I, I guess, I don't know, it seems like you span a variety of adventure <laughs> sports to um, underwater to aerial. How did you get involved with some of that photography, Kirk? Well, surfing photography opened the door to other things. Um, I think any surf photographer will tell you, you really can't make a living, a full living off just doing surfing photography as much as we would all like to. Um, being around the ocean and everything is just the greatest thing, and I wish we could do that. But, you know, it just um, I didn't also want to be known as kind of a one-trick pony. I wanted to do other stuff. And to tell you the truth, I was um, kind of around the time I was meeting Chris, I was really in, uh, interested in pro sports, uh, pro football, baseball, basketball, hockey, those kind of things. And and I always wanted to be one of those guys on the field, but it was never <laughs> good enough athletically uh, to do that. And But I found another way to get on the field, and that's through photography. Um, I, start, I was fortunate to start shooting the uh, NFL Pro Bowl in Honolulu in the mid-1980s, which was a dream come true. I, had a, I was asked to do it by a friend for... Uh, be the still photographer for ESPN and I told my friend I've never shot football in my life <laughs> and he goes no don't worry about it just go for it I know you can do it and 
he had the confidence in me and um, got some really good photos, and it worked out good. But there's a lot of, like anything, and like surfing, there's a lot of trial, trial and error in any sport. You got to know uh, what's going on and and keep your eye on the on the game, and and um, that taught me that, and I just that opened my eyes to other sports too, not just football, but eventually uh, Major League Baseball and NHL hockey and NBA. And, um, you know, it was really good, and I, I wanted to be diverse as possible in my photography. And um, the, mid eight, 19, or the mid-80s were really that period to uh, really learn a lot of stuff. I started going to Japan um, 1983, 1985, 87, 88, and I was working for some surfing magazines in Japan. Um, at that time, also, I was... Uh, a photographer for Surfer Magazine, which had started many years earlier, but going to another country and doing the surfing photography and selling surf photos um, opened up a lot of doors for me as well. And um, it just really worked out great. And I think one of my biggest thrills and remains today was I was able to shoot the Summer Olympics in Seoul, South Korea in 1988. And I was a photographer for that. So the sports photography really kind of escalated quickly. But I was glad because um, surfing remained like my number one passion. But to shoot these other sports and be on the field and be right next to the action and do all that. I mean, I was a like a kid in a candy store. That was for <laughs> me was the ultimate thing. And um, that was a lot of fun. And then shooting the Olympics was quite an honor to have that Olympic press pass and uh um, you know, South Korea is just a step away from Japan, so uh, I spent three months in Japan, went to South Korea for two weeks, and then came back to Japan for three months. And um, I spent a couple of years of my life in Japan, and it's kind of my second country where I really like to go to and do a lot of work over there. The pro surfing tour uh, was stopping there as well two times a year back in those days. It doesn't go there anymore. Um, but the 80s just continued to open doors for me, and um, I was really, really fortunate and a uh, great experience and lots of fun. Sounds amazing. Uh, Phil, you know, doing photography for the Olympics must have been uh, just an, a wonderful experience. Share with us, Kirk, please, maybe a favorite memory or a favorite coffee story, possibly when you were doing these travels in Japan or Korea, please. Well, I'll tell you, both those places had some great coffee, <laughs> and that's what got me going. Um, but um, Japan, gosh, uh, I think the the most fun I had was uh, there's a little island off the coast of Tokyo called Nijima, and it's part of the Izu Islands. Um, there's actually another island called Oshima, and it's a group of islands. In a way, I, I won't say they're similar to Hawaii, but like Oshima was oddly enough called the Big Island, and they had a volcano, so it was similar to the Big Island here of Hawaii. Nijima, I, I could compare maybe to Maui or something like that, really clean beaches, but much smaller, of course. These islands are very small. And um, this is where they'd have the pro surf contest. And in, in 1988, um, that same summer I shot the Olympics, um, was really, really good. We had really good swells for that. The best surfers in the world were there. Um, Tom Curran from the U.S. and all the great Australians and everything. And so to be on that little island shooting for several days in really good ways with these guys was just a thrill. 
and really, really great. Um, going to South Korea was really, really fun. Um, gosh, uh, so exhilarating. And what I, what I did was I went to Seoul for the opening ceremonies, but most of the stuff I was shooting was actually the yachting, yachting and boating events, um, which were in Busan. And I shot some soccer games as well, but I was on assignment for a windsurf magazine because windsurfing uh, was part of the Olympics that year. It was a, a metal sport. And so I was shooting um, the windsurfing, which wasn't really taking place on waves. It was more uh, open course racing out in the open water. So you'd be on these press boats that looked like old uh PT boats out of like McHale's Navy or one of those TV shows, and <laughs> yeah. that was our press boat. And you're getting tossed around yourself out in these. Uh, the open ocean was kind of rough a lot of times, but these guys were uh, course racing out there, and and such a thrill to photograph. And then I'd shoot also the big sailing boats that were part of the Olympics too. And so um, uh, my hotel was right there and on shore, and we're you know a mile or two offshore. Um, shooting all this and wow what a thrill and again that Olympics was just a continued extension of what I was trying to do say with the pro football and everything else and it got to the point where I just any sport anything moving I wanted to shoot and um, coming back to Japan I'd go to other surf spots Uh, my friends would take me around and see these little secret spots in the middle of nowhere and you know, you think of Japan, like Tokyo and all the people and crowded, but boy, you get out in the country and out to some of these secluded beaches and there's absolutely no one around. And um, yeah, we went to this one place where there's just wild monkeys on the beach and surf right there. And you realize, okay, you know, well, I'm not in La Jolla anymore. <laughs> and this is a lot of fun. And I really, really enjoyed it. Your adventures are never-ending, Kirk, and we look forward to chatting with you a little bit more after the break about what is that Kirk Ader, kind of the signature style of your photography. We can see your photographs in Sports Illustrated and in various magazines, and we'd love to know sort of what that key Kirk Ader element is and right after the break so please join us listeners my favorite coffee story stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com my favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. We live in perilous times on a beautiful, 
yet fragile planet. As a species, we are not doomed to self-destruct. We can live in peace and in love for one another. We can save this, our only home. We must mature. Open your mind. Soften your heart. Listen for the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. With host Lauren N. Nile, tune in. The Fate of Humanity airs Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. Oh, we've had such an amazing visit with Kirk Ader, who is a well, highly published photographer for surfing and various adventure sports. And we're just speaking with Kirk about he was actually shooting photography for the Olympics in South Korea, but he's been in Japan and doing amazing photographs um, for surfing there and and a variety of sports and including um, for pro football and, and pro basketball. And you can see his photographs in Sports Illustrated and actually Kirk even photographs um, adventures with Red Bull. And now we're going to talk a little bit more with Kirk about his signature style because there is distinctly a, a Kirk Ader signature element. Kirk, tell us a little bit about your special style. Well, in a way, kind of changing subject here, I think what I appreciate about my style is I'm not just a photographer, that I'm also a writer. And so I refer to myself as a photojournalist. Um, you know, in college, I got finally got over the mind block of writing. You know, you're writing term papers, and no one wants to sit down and write term papers and stuff And for college, but of course you have to. And um, after I graduated from UCSD um, in 1983, um, the writing really kicked in. And to me, it's an extension of my photography where I could sit down later on, maybe after a day of shooting photos, and... Um, and jot down some notes or jot down some thoughts, and eventually they translate into other things. And um, uh, I started doing a lot of uh, magazine articles for not just surfing magazines, but other magazines like uh, airline flight magazines for United Airlines and even uh, Hawaiian Airlines and several others. And so that, and of course the surfing magazines too, and that really was nice. You could get really imaginative and creative with the writing and just kind of look at your photos and get ideas and and keep it going from there. So I'm really proud of that, that, um, you know, I'm not just a photographer, I'm a writer too, and I've uh, authored three books and um, everything. And, you know, the pro sports continues to be my most passionate 
subject, whether it's surfing or football, or, or uh, I'm a big ice hockey fan, so of course we don't have that here in Hawaii, but any chance I can to shoot NHL hockey, it's really, really neat. And um, my first book was actually um, uh, called The Great Hawaii Sports Journal, and it's uh, full of colorful photos, and I was doing a lot of photography here in Hawaii and here on the Big Island and uh, drinking a lot of coffee along the way, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, go- shooting uh, the golf tournaments, um, the Ironman, the NFL Pro Bowl, um, all the big wave surfing, and, and it, that led to that book. It was published by Island Heritage in 2003. And then, you know, of course, living here on the Big Island, we have so many dramatic locations and scenery, and whether it's the volcano, uh, the fire and ice, the volcano, and the lava on one end, or the or the snow up on Mauna Kea and the guy snowboarding up there on the other end and everything in between. Um, so much diversity here on the Big Island, so shooting those things uh, led to my second book called Big Island Days, and that was published by Mutual Publishing in about 2007-2008. And uh, so that was nice. And after getting those two uh, books out of the way, um, you know, you talk about a specialty. Well, again, I think I got a travel back to Chris O'Rourke, and even though he had passed away uh, a long time ago, um, after doing those two books, it was time to finally write his story, and um, the Child of the Storm book took me about eight years to write. I was kind of working on it a little bit, 2003, 2004, but not taking it too seriously, but um, I really began in earnest around 2008, and uh, Ended up getting it published in 2012, also by uh, Mutual Publishing in Honolulu. And um, when it came out, I think um, the the book did really, really well. And a lot of people who didn't know about Chris um, quickly found out about him. And um, um, the book sales went good and still are on today. And, um, you know, as far as the specialty, um, gosh, it, it continues to be him because I've had... I had a contract with a movie producer that went for a couple of years. They were going to turn the story um, into a movie. And as anybody knows who's had this kind of thing happen, it's not so uh, easy to do. And um, the contract was for a couple of years, and it expired uh, a few months ago. And they did do a screenplay and and had some investors, but eventually it didn't work. So I'm currently uh, back to shopping that around, and I will continue to do that the rest of my life, whether it never happens or not uh, remains to be seen, but I'm going to sure push it onward. Um, but specialty-wise, Chris always remains in my thoughts, and it just parlays into other photography that I do because he inspired me to keep going forward. Um, I do a lot of event photography here um, on the west side of the Big Island for corporate groups that come in and stay at the hotels, and um, I really shoot pretty much everything, and that's how I want to be known as, I think, as a specialty, is just to be as diverse as possible. That's always been my main goal, and hopefully I'm uh, accomplishing that. Well, you are, and thank you for sharing with us some of your your current projects. If you were to say um, if there's like another book on the horizon or what your dreams are down the road... Um, would it be to to make the film of Child of the Storm, Chris O'Rourke's life, uh, or what are some of your future future dreams? Well, the dream of 
having that book get turned into a movie is definitely number one. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, remains to be seen, and I hope it can happen someday. But um, doing another book would be fabulous. I, I think I got one more in me. Um, that book really took about eight years total to do, so it kind of took a toll on me as uh, writing-wise, so many revisions and everything. Um, and I kind of laughingly tell people, you know, that's a that's a nonfiction, that's a real story. And when you're yes. dealing with real stories, you want to get all your facts right. And everybody that's mentioned, you you know, you don't want to have to, uh, have to face too much criticism or anything. And the amazing thing about Child of the Storm was a third of it had to get cut out before it went to press because there was so much in there, and that was really hard to do. Um, if I ever do another book, I, I kind of laughingly tell people it probably be fiction because then I can just make it all up <laughs> and not have to worry about that. Um, but that's kind of tricky too. Um, I have some thoughts and things and stories that are, I get kind of imaginative, but I really like the true stories too, because they are true. And I'm trying to find something that I would feel comfortable doing. And a few things have been offered to me in the past and I haven't acted on them yet just because it's a, a lot of undertaking to take on a true story. Um, but, um, I hope I got one more in me there and certainly it'll go that way. Um, but until that time happens, um, pushing the uh, child of the storm project for a movie project would be great. Um, you know, and continuing to shoot a lot of photos. I've been fortunate over the years to get published in some pretty big magazines like, like you mentioned, um, Sports Illustrated and Outside Magazine and Islands and Sunset and work for some really good publishing companies. And recently I was honored. Um, the Outside Magazine came out with a book uh, just a few months ago called The Edge of the World, and it's the best photos that have ever appeared in Outside Magazine. And um, I was uh, fortunate to get one big two-page spread in there on that one. Oh, that's great, Kirk. And um, that that really worked out good. <clears throat> so, you know, to me, to kind of get honored by your peers like that and be in big publications is a sign of the work and um, that I do. And so um, that keeps me going and keeps me motivated when, when those kind of things happen. Oh, that's really, truly exciting. And I think what's beautiful about your photographs is that you capture a story in your photograph. Every surfing photo that I've seen that you've taken, um, even the photo that you've taken with the paddleboarder close to the lava flowing into the water, you capture that story so beautifully in your photographs and in your writing then that complements as well the a beautiful photograph that you've done. And I, I just think that um, you sharing how you've actually been inspired and what goes into your photograph is very inspiring to your listeners. So thank you for sharing that, Kirk. What would you say is um, the favorite thing about what you do with your photographs? Favorite thing? Well, um, I'll back up just a second. When you mentioned the surfer next to the lava, um, that's actually the photo that appeared in Outside Magazine. Um, it was of C.J. Kanuha, who's a very uh, popular and famous surfer from Kona. And um, that that is a whole story in itself. I mean, <laughs> to charter a helicopter and go up and, and do this shoot and 
time it so that he's out there and um, getting close to the lava um, at a time when nobody's around early in the morning and showing up with this helicopter and getting the chute and having him be only about 30 feet away from lava pouring over the cliff into the water was, wow, I mean, that, that gets your blood going pretty good. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, and, it, and it's, you know, a bit dangerous as well, so you've got to be careful what you're doing. And, he, you know, for him, he's the, he's the hero. He's the one down there in the water actually doing it. And um, I'm just there shooting photos. Um, so that was, that was really neat. Um, uh, you know, some of my other photos uh, are, are pretty famous people. Um, uh, one couple photos I've, I've had in Sports Illustrated, one was of uh, Michelle Wee, who's a popular golfer, women's golfer from Hawaii. She was only yes. 15 years old, and that was used as a two-page spread. Um, her teen off at her first pro tournament at, at Waikoloa and uh, snow-capped Mauna Kea in the background and the coconut trees and all that, and really nice shot. And um, also had a really nice one of, of Colt Brennan, who was the former UH quarterback, um, when the uh, football quarterback when they had some really good years, and a photo of him. Um, so there's different stuff like that. Um, Specialty-wise, gosh, you know, it's really kind of everything. I mean, the whole... My whole photography world is is special to me. It doesn't really matter what I'm shooting, if it's even food shots or uh, underwater shots or uh, event photography or sports. It's all just um, as long as I'm shooting photos, that's the main thing for me. And the writing comes second nature to that. And, uh, you know, it it all goes hand in hand. And, and, uh, gosh, it's... really encompasses everything so fortunately I I have a big world of things to photograph and it keeps me very busy. Well and thank you so much for sharing with us and sharing how you actually think about uh, capturing that that person or that golfer or that moment with the surfer watching the lava flow in that those stories are um, and you bring them to to your to people who are looking at your photographs those stories are so inspiring Kirk as we close here we'd love to ask you um, just a little bit about how you've gotten to know some of these surfers Um, they all have special surfing places and how you've actually become friends with them and and connect with them so you can capture them do you ever share with them a good cup of coffee early in the morning before you all go out that happens actually from time to time yeah or after they come in one or the other um, because then you can kind of celebrate what what you've done they're good surfing and then you've gotten the shots and everything and gives you a chance to kind of talk story about um, the waves that day and it's really been a lot of fun to do that with these guys Um, most of my surf photography these days takes place on the big island and um, you know one person who's it's it's interesting actually um Shane Dorian who's a very famous professional surfer from Kona here on the Big Island and um he's you know got that Irish background like my friend Chris O'Rourke but Shane's a completely different uh, personality and um but he's a regular foot surfer meaning when he goes right on the wave he's facing the wave and um he his style reminds me a lot of Chris so I've been really fortunate um 
you know, Chris passed away a long time ago, but then I've hooked up with Shane Dorian while living here on the Big Island to shoot, and and um, it's been really great for me to connect with another surfer so well. But of course, that goes for all the surfers that come from here. Um, C.J. Kanuha, Tori Meister, other guys. And then if I go to the North Shore of Oahu, then I still know some of those guys as well. And it's just something that over the years, if you travel somewhere or you're at contests or something, I mean, eventually you're going to be able to spend time with these guys and talk to them about different things, and you get to know their surfing style really well, and you know what to look for when you're photographing them. Oh, like this guy really does cutbacks really good, or this guy's a big tube rider, so I'm going to watch for that or whatever, but you kind of, you can anticipate their maneuvers more, more, and over a long period of time, you get to know them better and better, and you kind of can tell what they're going to be doing on the wave, and that really, really helps in anticipating, you know, what what you're going to photograph and everything, so it's been great, whether it's surfers or baseball players or football players I've gotten to know some of these other guys too and had some really good shoots with people like Shane Victorino who is a long time uh, Major League Baseball player Kurt Suzuki uh, who still plays today Um, um, Shane played for the Philadelphia Phillies for many many years and Boston and won a couple World Series and uh, Kurt does really well and and a pitcher named Brandon League who is from Oahu and same with some of the football players, and you, you get to talk to these guys and do things. We had some really good photo shoots with uh, Kurt and Shane um, in Oakland many years ago where um, we had some flower lays flown to the mainland, and they wore the lays over their uniforms <laughs> before the game yeah. started, and, and we did a nice photo shoot, and they're giving me shaka signs and all that, and that was so much fun. <laughs> So you really get to know these guys on a personal level too, and so it's a it's a it's a great thing. You're not just shooting photos of them; you get to talk to them too. And whether it's surfers or baseball players or whoever, it's all it's all a great experience. Well, and your photographs definitely share with those who look at them that relationship and the moment and the beauty of the sport or the element. And thank you for sharing with us with the listeners about what it takes to to really capture a surfing photograph and how that works and taking us through that and helping us feel like there we're there with you Kirk we really enjoyed your stories so thank you so much for joining us on my favorite coffee story and to our listeners thank you for joining us and and being with us on my favorite coffee story and hearing about the life of an incredible talented surfing photographer Kirk Ader so we we're glad Glad we've been together again this week, and we look forward to being together next week on My Favorite Coffee Story. In the meantime, if you'd like to continue our conversation, you can always send questions to or email to radio at My Favorite Coffee Story. And of course, we love sharing aloha on anikona.com with our 15% gift. But we've just been so happy to share some very special stories today on My Favorite Coffee Story. Have a wonderful week. We wish you a lot of aloha from Anikona Farm. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.